Welcome to the 180 Podcast. You are listening to a teaching of the 180, a new church committed to learning to love Jesus and love like Jesus. Our prayer is that God would use this teaching to help you grow closer to Him and that you would feel moved to join us in person, where you can grow in community with the larger 180 family. Bienvenue à la balado-diffusion de l'Église 180. Vous écoutez un enseignement de l'Église 180, une nouvelle Église qui s'est engagée à apprendre à aimer Jésus et à aimer comme Jésus. Notre prière est que Dieu utilisera cet enseignement afin de vous aider à vous rapprocher de Lui et que cela vous donne envie de vous joindre à nous en personne où vous pourrez vous épanouir au sein de la communauté qu'est la grande famille de l'Église 180. Hey, good morning, everyone. Uh, it's good to see you all, and uh, if we haven't had a chance to connect, my name is Dominic, and I'm one of the leaders here. Uh, and uh, we're just excited. I, I don't know if you've ever heard about Alpha. If you're part of our church, you've heard us talk about Alpha, but Alpha is one of those important uh, kind of get-togethers that we have created here at the church, and obviously we didn't invent this, but it's a, it's a chance for us to pay attention to the fact that being a Christian means that you are excited to share with other people that Jesus can change their life. Now, every single day, I meet somebody who shares something with me. I don't know if this happened to you. Like people share like a video. Oh, watch this. You know, we actually see the word share probably like so often. And, you know, people like share recipe. How many of you are share recipe kind of people, right? Share this. I got to make the right kind of pie. You know, my neighbor down the street recently came up to my house and he wanted to share with me a number for someone to fix my roof. And I was like, my roof looks fine to me. Like, what are you talking about? You know, somebody's always sharing something, but at some point what starts happening to us is we think that what we share is equal across the board and we can forget that saying yes to Jesus is something very unique that we share. And in Alpha, part of what we encourage people to do, for some of you, is to listen to other people who are not ready to say yes to Jesus. They're not sure why following God or believing in the Bible, why that even matters. And so this past week, Pastor Michael, some leaders, they started getting together and we've kind of transitioned off of to being online. So can we encourage some of you to maybe think about this? Maybe it's a great time for you to just share with someone that you're learning and you're willing to go with them to this kind of online platform to connect over coffee and chat and listen. And one of the greatest things we can do for people is to just listen to them as they share where they're at. And this can be hard for us in a world where we always talk or we always tell people, we're always like convincing them of what we want and what, and Alpha is a great thing that all of us can learn to be a part of. And so I want to encourage you to think about that as we step into like the next season. You know, today feels like kind of a new chapter for us in some ways because we're ending a series that we started a few weeks ago. At the beginning of the fall, as things were opening up, we kind of started like looking at this time in the Bible when people in the Bible were wrestling with what it meant to trust God. And in a few minutes, we're going to celebrate with two people who are getting baptized and Wow, it's, it's exciting. I'm excited, and, and if you've never been part of a baptism, part of it, if you've been baptized, seeing other people get baptized is a reminder of what you did. And the fact that you understood that there was a time where Jesus was telling you, it's not enough to just believe in God. It's not enough to be a good person. It's not enough to just kind of help. It's important that you decide that you're going to die to yourself and live a new life. And so we're excited to celebrate that with Nick and Joanne who are here. Maybe some of you are here as friends. Some of you are watching online. You're, you're cheering them on at home. Listen, you can hear them right now. No, they're holding a cup of coffee. They're not cheering at all. Uh, <laughs> and so this morning, as we move to that, I want to kind of take you back to a time in the Bible where people were wrestling to understand what God was doing. And I want to talk about this important thing that I've been wrestling with myself, and I want to be really honest up front, is I want to talk about this idea of joy. Can everybody say joy? Joy. 
I was, I was thinking this week, I, I entitled the sermon, if you're online, you've seen it already, you know this, I entitled like, What Brings You Joy? When's the last time that you were joyful? Not just excited or happy, but there was a deep sense of joy that had gripped your heart because you understood something about who you are and how God's love was kind of had found you. Now, just think about this idea of joy. This week for me was one of those weeks where I did not feel lots of joy. And yet I was preparing to talk about it. So I felt kind of conflicted. So I was like, someone else can preach. I'm staying home. And I realized that part of joy is not just connected to how we feel, if it's a good day or a bad day, but it's understanding that our lives make sense when they're connected to something bigger than just what we're going through. And I, I thought about this, that people who met Jesus, once they experienced the kind of joy that he gave them, guess what they did? They shared this with other people. They started to share with others that Jesus had changed their lives. And so there's something about joy when it grips us, it makes us the kind of people who want to see others experience God's joy. And yet I find in my life, maybe you found in your life, that this past season has been kind of a, a tough time to think about joy. Think about the things in your life that zap your joy. COVID, put it on the top of the list, that's for sure. Like all the things related to that, you're like, man, I'm just struggling to get by. Like I, if I'm just happy, that's a good day. Forget about joy. Can't even get there. Some of us are maybe like waiting for the holidays because maybe there we experience a bit of joy because we sing carols or whatever. Some people, that's, that's where they're at. And this morning, I want to take you back to just this moment in the Bible where people in the Bible had lost their joy. They, like, they, as much as they wanted to be joyful, they had lost that. And if you remember, the people are not dealing with COVID. They're not dealing with, like, you know, just a bad week. They are slaves in a time of conquest. Okay, just try to wrap your head around that. Like, if you think being joyful can be hard sometimes for us, imagine if every day you wake up and you remember that your God, who you've been praying to, who you care about, who you love, somehow doesn't seem present anymore. And the people in the Bible during this time period that we've been looking at have been slaves for a long time. And one of the things we try to do here at the 180 is to teach you how to read the Bible. So, so as you learn with us on a Sunday morning, our prayer is that you would go back home and as you're reading maybe your devotional or you're learning how to understand the Bible, you have a framework to understand some of these stories. Like for example, how many of you have ever heard of this guy called Daniel in the lion's den? Can you hear about that? Like a famous story, even people who don't really read the Bible know. Well, Daniel and the lion's den story happens during this time period that we've been talking about. And so sometimes you forget that other stories fit into this time frame that we're looking at. Or Esther, this beautiful queen who thinks she's going to die one day. You're like, oh, that's so beautiful. But I didn't know that Esther's story fits into a time where the people of God have lost their ability to see how joy is connected to their lives. Because they're slaves because they're not sure if God loves them, and they're trying to look for ways to say, God, we know you're still with us, but we can't always see it. And God does some amazing things. In this, these two books in the Bible, they're called Ezra and Nehemiah. God sends kind of three important people to kind of help the people remember that although they don't feel joyful, God is at work in a new way. Maybe you need to hear that this morning. You might not feel joyful. You might not know like how to make sense of joy. You might even struggle to define joy. You know, some people are like, let's just define joy. You know what? Even if you learn how to define joy, it won't make you more joyful. Defining a word doesn't make it creep into you and make you live out of the truth of what it means. And so I want to just, if you've missed it, you may be here for the first time, maybe you, you know, you, you forgot, or you just don't listen when you come to church. We have some of those people at our church. Okay. You see, you're not even listening. Okay. So <laughs> I want to tell you about three 
three names, and I tried to make them really, really easy so I can kind of help you remember them. They're like three P people, okay? Three Ps. You'll see them on the screen uh, behind me. There you go, okay? Priest, planner, and prophets. Okay, these are kind of three roles that kind of emerge to help the people who are slaves to remind them that God is doing something new. God is at work, and God's going to help them to experience his joy again. And they're like, yeah, some people are like, whatever. So the first person, if you've been here, the person who represents kind of the priest is this person called Ezra. Ezra is a priest. I mean, he's teaching people the Bible. He's teaching them about what God had promised to the people. He kind of like is a little bit like what I do. And that's his role. But as Ezra does what he's called to do, other people start to believe too. They realize, wait a second, maybe this is God doing something new now. Now, the next person we meet is kind of the planner. He becomes the governor. His name is Nehemiah. You have Ezra, you have Nehemiah. These are like two key leaders that are there and they're like involved. They're stepping up. And I don't want you to think like God just uses like people with special titles. That's not what this story's about. The story's about this, that these people play their parts, other people find their place. And they start to realize, God, how can you use us to find our role? I thought about this yesterday. I was here at the church and people have been working in the warehouse. And can I just say how encouraged I am at so many different people with different gifts have stepped up to help us, whether it's painting, wires, just making sure it's safe for our kids, dreaming about the next way we can connect with our community, filling up the tank so the water's warm, hint, hint. Uh, you know, like people are just finding their place and saying, God, would you use me with my gifts in a small way to just help other people experience your joy, right? And then as part of this, there's a priest, this planner person, Nehemiah, remember? There's prophets, Prophets show up every so often when the people kind of start to get lazy. Now, I know that doesn't happen with us at all, right? But in the Bible, people got lazy, they got tired, they got other priorities. And during this time period of Ezra and Nehemiah, these books that you, we've looked at in the Bible, hopefully you've read them, there's other prophets that also creep up around to encourage the people to pay attention when they look for joy and meaning in other things. Okay, that happens to all of us. We're like, oh, we tried God, I tried religion, I tried spirituality, I used to be a Christian, I used to believe in that stuff, but now I'm going to do my own thing. Like, that always happens. It also was happening in the Bible. People were like, oh, yeah, God is at work, but I'm busy. Like, I got things to do. Like, I have my life, I got to pay taxes, I got to oil change, winter tires. Like, I don't have time for this. Like, it's too busy, right? And every so often, the prophets, they write, and they say stuff, and you're like, oh, boy, that's, that's juicy right there, right? So let's just, just to wake you up, let me read you a juicy passage. Ready? Some of you might want to just close your eyes and pray and block your ears for this one, okay? This is what Haggai, one of the prophets, writes to the people during this time. It says, then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while his house remains a ruin? Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but have harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are never warm. You can earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is the prophetic language to get people's attention, to realize that if they're just going to look to find meaning in their lives by doing what they want to do, God will make it in such a way that all the stuff that they do will feel like it's success without significance. That no matter how much they get, no matter how much they earn, no matter how much they experience, at the end, they'll still feel like there was nothing there. Like this year, I planted some tomato plants in my backyard. 
We got three tomatoes. I thought of Haggai. Any, anyone else suck at gardening? Yeah? All right. Stop, stop judging me, okay? No, but it's this idea. But imagine planting like a whole field. Like you tell your grandchildren, we're going to have a Thanksgiving party. We're going we're to celebrate God's provision. And you go, and there's nothing there. And God's like, oh, wait a second. You thought you could ignore the things that I was calling you to and thought that I would still bless you with the things that you want to do? That's what Haggai is going to say. And what he's talking about is one of the things that God was telling the people to be a part of was to rebuild, does anyone remember? The temple. It was the physical place where people understood that's where their God met with them to worship. And the people were like, somebody else can do that. I don't care about that. And some people step, stepped up and they're like, we want to help. We want to be a part of it. Now, it's not identical to like a building like today. The temple was much more complicated than that, right? But it was the space where people thought, this is kind of a unique way that we gather to worship God here. And some people thought, I don't have to do any of that. And God says, hey, hey I sent a priest. I sent someone to make some plans. But now you should hear from the prophet. And throughout the prophets, the prophets are warning the people in the Bible. And they're warning us of all the things that we can kind of get connected to that make us almost even feel like we're successful at certain things. And yet in the end, God's like, so are you joyful now? Do you feel like things are significant now? Do you feel like your life has meaning now? And God starts doing this. Now, because it's baptism, I want to just remind you of something really, really important if, if you don't know this. Like, these are some of the same temptations that Jesus will hear from the devil right after he's baptized. After Jesus is baptized, he goes into the desert, the Bible tells us. He's kind of in a state of, of having to work through what God is preparing him for. And the devil starts to promise Jesus all of these things. He says, listen, listen, before you get carried away with your obedience and the cross and, you know, loving these people, listen, how about you just like, just kind of follow me and I'll give you all the kingdoms of this world. I'll make you successful more than anyone has ever seen. And if you know the story, you know that Jesus says that you can experience all success in life and never understand that significance comes from worship. Significant comes from understanding that you and I are called to be obedient in the ways of God. And Jesus models this for us. And he models it for us in a way where we today still face those pressures and those feelings to be like, well, if I'm not getting joy from the things of church or I'm not getting joy from my faith and I'm not getting joy from other things, maybe I'll find them in other things. And Haggai's like, be really, really careful when this happens. Now, a few weeks ago, I, we had a, a ministry partner meeting here at the church. If some of you don't know what that is, ministry partners are leaders, people in the church who not only attend the church, they're not only just here kind of visiting, but they've committed to say, this is our church. We're going to grow here. We're going to be rooted here. And as part of that, that dialogue and prayer time and encouragement together, I shared something with them that I want to tell you that is at the heart of what we see happening in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. And I, I'll share with a quote, okay? You'll see it on the screen and then I'll kind of explain it. It says this, disconnecting from your family of faith is often the first sign of walking away from the faith. Okay? Just if you remember this. I think that for the past few months, we've had to wrestle with the fact that COVID has made it very easy for many of us to disconnect from be part of a family of faith. Now, not of our choosing. I mean, we really didn't have a choice. We're online, we're connecting. And, and over the past little while, leaders might, like myself, leaders in our church, many of you are wondering, like, how important is it to reconnect to a family of faith? 
How important is it to be part of this family so that as part of this community, we're also growing in the faith, right? And in the book of Ezra and Nehemiah, every ruler knows one thing, that if you want to crush people's faith and you want to crush their joy, you make sure that they can't worship together. And this is why the temple had been destroyed. The temple was a sign and a place where the people came to remind themselves that God was with them together, not just by themselves. And so rulers, when they come time and again, when rulers appear, one of the things they start to do is they start to pay attention to the things that people worship and they crush them as a sign that not only will we not let you worship, we've in a sense destroyed your God and we are your gods now. And this is something I've been thinking about a lot. I think about how easy it might be for some of us to confuse the importance of staying connected together as a family. You know, people getting baptized today are basically saying, I'm being baptized and I'm going to need the help of this family to grow closer to Jesus. I daily need to know that I'm part of a community of people who are praying and learning and growing with me. Even just a little while ago, right before the service started, I did something that I often encourage many of you to do, which is to consider using our prayer space. And I just went in there and I asked the person to pray with me because I needed to be encouraged before I came up to preach. This is what it means to be connected to a family of people who are growing together. And the image that I gave our ministry partners, I want to give to you, right? Think about a fire that's burning, like really, really hot fire. What you need to do is if you want one of those pieces of wood to kind of lose its fire and its, its passion, its use, is you take it and you move it away from all the other fire. And then you just wait. And over time, what happens to that one piece of wood that you moved? It slowly gets cold. And it slowly loses its place among the coals of fire. That's kind of the image that I want you to think about that is at the heart of this book of Ezra and Nehemiah. Because Ezra and Nehemiah are reminding the people, hey, some of you have not only gotten cold in your faith, you now are looking for meaning and joy in other things. Cue the prophets. They come in and they start writing. We are invited to learn and to grow and to understand this. And at one point in the book of Ezra and Nehemiah, something happens. It's like, it's like that moment that every leader kind of really gets excited about. Like, I get excited about this. This is what we're told, okay? It's a really profound moment. The people say this. We assume, we also now assume responsibility for bringing to the house of the Lord each year first fruits of our crops and of every fruit tree. I mean, that's amazing. Big potluck there. The people of Israel, including the Levites, meaning even the priests, are to bring their contributions of grain, new wine, olive oil to the storerooms. How many of you are getting hungry? You're like, okay, it keeps coming, right? We will not neglect the house of our God. It, it, like it happens. The switch goes off where the people realize, wait a second, this is not just someone else's job. This is not just like the priest's job. This is not just Nehemiah's job. This is not just the prophet's job. We understand that God is teaching us that out of our worship and our commitment to him, his joy will come alive in our lives. We'll understand what it means that we belong to this family of people that are learning to love God. As, as you think about this, I mean, this might be strange. You, you could put the passage back up there. It might be strange for some of us because I don't think of my life and, you know, how I'm living like with just like fresh fruits or crops or every fruit tree. Maybe some of you maybe have fruit trees. That's beautiful. Think about sharing. Just just side note. But there's a sense that when we think of our lives, we often struggle with connecting like how we work with this kind of work. But think about what the Bible is saying here, that the people understood that every day, Monday to Friday, Saturday, as they worked, 
they were working not just for themselves, but for the things of God. This is so hard to do. I meet people every day who hate their jobs. You know somebody who hates their job? Like hates their jobs. They hate their boss. They hate their schedule. They hate how much they get paid. They just can't do it. Years ago, I remember like waking up every day and hating my job. Not now. Wink, wink. Okay? But I used to be a telemarketer. Okay? All of you, all, I felt the judgment, just the weight. The weight. I'm getting rebaptized this morning. No, I'm kidding. So I used to work for a telemarketing company. It was a disaster. I used to get up. I used to go. And I used to call. Some of you know this. And, you know, I feel ashamed in some ways. We used to sell telephone books when we used to have telephone books to people. And I was, it was so rough. You know, I was trying to go to school. I was trying to, like, I just, my parents wanted me out of the house. I was like, I'll do whatever. I don't even know what I got paid. We would call people and ask them if they want to buy telephone books that we were selling. And they'd be like, really? And it was just when the internet was starting to be like, like can't we just get the number ourselves? I'm like, oh, no, no, no. These books are special. They were not special. So we were just trying to do this. And I remember, like, I hate doing this. You cannot convince me that what I was doing mattered to God. There's no way. One day, I was working this job. It didn't work at long. I talked to people, you know, who were there working with me. And one person, you know, we ended up having lunch, connected. And they one day said to me, you know what? I think I'm done with living this life. And I remember hearing, like, it was a cue for me. I mean, what do you mean? Like, are you joking? You want to tell me a joke? Like, what are you talking about? And they said, no, I think I'm ready to end it all. And for the first time, I remember thinking, are you, like, are you okay? Like, you feel like you want to end your life. Like, yeah. And that day I realized, like, I didn't know what telemarketing was about, but I knew that I was just there to tell this person that they were not alone, that we could talk to somebody, we could get some help, we could connect to their family. And I remember thinking there are times in my life where I needed to remember that even the smallest things that I did that I didn't think mattered to the bigger picture of God's plan. It, I didn't know how it connected. Like, how does making oil connect to the temple of God? How does this, like, working at a factory connect? Ezra and Nehemiah are writing to the people. And they're saying, you need to see this. You need to see that whatever you do can be connected to the things that God is doing in the world. This morning, can I encourage you, like, when you get up, when you're stuck in traffic, when you're overwhelmed, when you're tired, when you don't know about coding, or you're not sure what you're going to do with, like, payroll, that you would see what you do as connected to worshiping God. Whenever you're having a bad day, just think about that. Whenever you're not sure, like, I'm, I'm working at this, I, I, the, the government's going to take half of this in taxes. Any of those people? No? No, okay, just me. So you feel those moments, you're just, some of this, some of this is committed to the work of God. And I'm part of something. And years ago, I remember, like, as I became a pastor, I remember learning about this, like, if you've ever been to, like, a leadership conference, if you've ever been to some of those promotional, like, Walmart-type things, like, rally things, there's this profound, profound leader. His name is Jim Collins. He writes about, he's like a leadership guru guy. And he write, writes this profound thing about work, like everyday work, every day. This is what he says. This is profound. He says, it's impossible to have a great life unless it is a meaningful life. And it is very difficult to have a meaningful life without meaningful work. This is true of every single person on the planet. Ezra and Nehemiah tell us that when you understand that your life and your work is connected to the ways of God and worshiping God, your life is always meaningful. You're not just going to work to get a job, to get a paycheck. I used to tell this to students all the time in university. They didn't even have a job. I'm like, you're studying. I hate studying. No, you're not studying for yourself. You're studying for God. 
Because one day you're going to be in a field working and serving and doing something that might change someone's life. And yet we live in a world that tells us that everything we do is really just about us. But in worship, at the temple, when the people gathered, when they understood that now they were assuming responsibility, God was teaching them that every part of their life could be connected to what he was doing. Sure, we gather to worship on Sunday, but we also worship Jesus on Monday and on Tuesday and on Wednesday and Thursday and Friday. This week, imagine if we all did that. Imagine if every single one of us, when we sat in traffic or sat at work or waited for that call, waiting, I'm like, you just thought, Jesus, oh, I'm doing meaningful work. You're going to use this in a way I can't even see. This is right there at the heart of Nehemiah and Ezra for us to feel and to believe that God wants to use us. Now, the people finally get this. It all connects in their heads. So guess what they do? What would you do? Have a party. Come on. Like they just said, we're going to have a party. We're talking about joy. We're talking about our lives having meaning. We're talking about God changing everything and taking us out of being slaves. Sign me up for some parties. This is what we're told. It's amazing. Dave loves this part. Worship people love this. People who hate singing in church hate this. Okay, you ready for this? Some of you are like, you know what I'm talking about. Okay. At the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, the Levites were sought out from where they lived and they were brought to Jerusalem to celebrate joyful the dedication and the songs of thanksgiving and with the music of cymbals, harps and lyres. The musicians also were brought together from the region around Jerusalem. Can you imagine the noise disaster, the kids with cymbals, people banging? Some of you would hate it. They have a party as a sign of this joyful thing that God is doing in their midst. They celebrate that God is at work and that joy in their hearts is visible to people who don't believe what they believe. It's visible so other people are like, what are these crazy Jewish people? What are they doing over there? I don't know. Like They started building the temple. They, they built the wall. I think they really believe that God is changing everything. Can you believe today that God is still doing this in people's lives? He's teaching us how to sing and how to celebrate and how to remember that we are those who have been so impacted by his love that we do this not only for ourselves, but so that others would see that there's a joy that is available to them as well. Now, if you remember this book, and I'm going to kind of wrap it up and we're going to turn to, to communion in a second. Remember the three Ps I told you about? What are they? Priest? Look at this. We're on fire today. Okay. Prophets often would write not only about what God was doing in people's, when people's hearts to wake them up, but it, uh, prophets often wrote to remind people of what God was about to do. Now, if you remember, part of this, all these books, Ezra and Nehemiah, all these books, really they hang on these two things that people are building, right? It's like a building project, right? They're building a temple, and then they're building a wall. And the wall is a symbol of God protecting the place where they worship, and they gathered, and they sang, all those things, right? But one of the prophets who also writes during this time, his name is Zechariah. Everyone say Zechariah. Zechariah. You probably never hear that name today. Nobody's calling their dog Zechariah. It's not a cool name, okay? Zechariah is another prophet of this time. And Zechariah tells the people something about that God's doing that's not only this joyful thing that's happening in their lives, but that God is preparing them to be a joyful nation for other people as well. I'm going to do this, okay, just to help you, to see if you understand. I'm going to read you something that Zechariah writes, and you see if you can understand it before I say anything. Okay, just try. This is one of those games, right? Like you read it, you're like, there's like imagery, 
all the stuff about building, which I hate, uh, but you'll see. Let's just read it together. Then I looked up, and there before him was a man with a measuring line in his hand. And I asked, where are you going? He answered, to measure Jerusalem, to find out how wide and how long it is. While the angel who was speaking to me was leaving, an angel came to meet me and said to me, run, tell the young man, Jerusalem will be a city without walls because of the great number of people. Kind of seems weird. Didn't we just read about like a whole thing where people are building a wall? Why would the prophet say, by the way, I know you need the wall, but a time is coming where this wall will not be able to contain the blessings of God. This is when the prophets write to the people to teach them something that we still have to learn today. Ready for it? Before I kill myself here. Ready for it? That the joy that we experience is not just for us. That the joy that we taste of, the love of God that we understand, is meant for other people that we once thought should stay out of the walls. And now through the prophet, God says, hey, hey, you need a wall now, but don't get too comfortable with this wall. Because the time is coming when God's blessing on you will require that you open the wall and open the building and make room for others. Every time we have baptism, every time we encourage somebody to get baptized, I think of what it took, the people it took to come alongside them, to help them to understand that God was inviting them to be part of something new. In a few minutes, Nick and Joanne are going to be baptized. And every time I do a baptism, I'm always reminded that I'm not the only one who's played a part in their lives. Some of you are watching and you've had an impact in their lives. Some of you are here. They matter to you so much and they wanted you to see this. But they're getting baptized today as a sign, not only for themselves, but that others would see and understand that the joy of God in their lives is meant to be shared with others. Ezra and Nehemiah are these beautiful books, historical books. We read about them, prophets, priests, planners, they're building, it's wild. But Jesus, when he comes, he will say, even the temple that is here, even the temple that you have, will not be able to contain what God is about to do. The band's just going to lead us in a song. I'm going to come down. I want us to just be thinking of Nick and Joanne. They said to me earlier that they're nervous. And I said, that's good. It's a good sign when you're nervous. People who are about to die to themselves should be nervous. If you've been baptized already and you see Nick and Joanne being baptized and a deep joy is not stirred in you, come behind them and I'll baptize you again. I'm not going to do that. I'm kidding. But, but like honestly, like if, if your baptism doesn't connect to their baptism and what God is stirring in you, then something has disconnected. Maybe the words of the prophets are for you today. That maybe you thought you could find success, significance, meaning, and that would bring you joy. Haggai would like to say something to us. Maybe you forgot that there's something about your life and the joy that is at the core of your life that's meant for others to see as well. And maybe for some of you, you're here and you've never been baptized. And you'll see this and you'll realize, why have I waited this long to say yes to Jesus? Come talk to us. We can help with that. Let's sing this song before we celebrate when Nick and Joanne. Hey, can I encourage some of you maybe if you have small kids and they've been upstairs 
and maybe they haven't seen this or understand this, one of the greatest things we can do is to maybe just go watch this part of the service with them. We have technology and it's a gift. Just show them what it looks like when someone says yes to Jesus in this way. That God might stir something already in our kids to understand that Jesus loves them too. Let's remember Nick and Joanne as we see them to encourage them. They're going to need our encouragement. So let's just pray as we close now. Holy Spirit, we need you to do something deep in us that draws us back to the joy of letting you be the center of our lives. In a world filled with temptations and other options, we all have times where we struggle to trust, to surrender to your ways. So today, may Nick and Joanne's baptism be a reminder to us all of what you call us into, of what it means to die to ourselves and to surrender, to live for your glory alone. I pray for anyone watching or listening who maybe senses your spirit at work telling them that they're next, that they would have the courage to take that step, to say yes to you, the way we have. As we go now, may you use the scriptures in us, the power of the Spirit, and the ways that you're shaping us as a church to reach others who are beyond the walls of this building. Those who don't understand or who have questions about your love, help us to think about things like Alpha or just even a coffee with a coworker to be things that you will use to help people know that you love them as well. Be with us as we go now and bring us back safely as we continue to worship you next week as we celebrate communion together. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Hey, next week, we'll see you again as we celebrate communion. God bless everyone. See you soon.